This is The Takeaway. I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks so much for listening. This hour, you might say, is all about institutions and war within themselves. The White House is experiencing quite a week of unraveling on a number of fronts. Does the president know what's going on in his own Justice Department with the seizure of those journalist phone records or within his own Internal Revenue Service with the apparent targeting of political opponents by the IRS? More resignations there, and Todd Zwillick will be with us to talk all about it. State health care institutions are conflicted about how to implement the Federal Affordable Care Act. We've seen that in a number of conversations this week. Today, a look at what's happening specifically in Oregon and Massachusetts. We begin, though, with an institution that's all about fighting war, apparently incapable of curbing a different kind of war within its own ranks. The Pentagon has a real problem with sexual assault. Here are some numbers. In 2012, it's estimated that 26,000 members of the military, men and women, were sexually assaulted, up from 19,000 the year before. These numbers come from anonymous surveys. Very few report the crime for fear of retribution and or because victims lack faith in the military's justice system. Here is the consequence of just one of those incidents. This is taken from the award-winning documentary Invisible War. Once he was done, he rubbed his hand all over my entire body and told me, he said, I own all of this. And I was just absolutely scared, didn't know what to do. I called my dad. One of the first things she said is, Dad, I'm no longer a virgin. And uh, I said, what happened? He said, I was raped. The case of Hannah Sewell, who was raped while in the Navy by a fellow recruit, is from five years ago and was closed by Navy commanders before anyone was prosecuted. Nearly 22 years ago, 83 women and seven men were sexually assaulted at the now infamous Navy Tailhook Symposium in Las Vegas. Oversight procedures were supposedly put in place to make clear a culture of sexual predation would not be tolerated in the military. But yesterday, get this, a soldier actually in charge of sexual assault prevention at Fort Hood was accused of abusive sexual contact, among other crimes. And just last week, police arrested for sexual battery the Air Force's chief of sexual assault prevention and response. Well, lawmakers concerned about this issue and the apparent inability of the Pentagon to deal with it through its traditional chain of command mechanism have simply run out of patience. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, is one of those who says it's time for some big changes. These cases that have come to light in the last couple of weeks are incredibly disheartening, infuriating. These are the men who have been charged with protecting victims, preventing sexual assault, and they're now being alleged to have engaged in sexual assault. So these incidents undermine our confidence that the military has this under control, that they have an idea about how to solve these problems and that their solutions are ever going to work. And what do you think has gone wrong here? Because it really does seem like we're in a place that we shouldn't be in right now. Well, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we have an estimate of 26,000 incidents of unwanted sexual contact up from 19,000 the year before. And one of the biggest challenges of these incidents, there's only about 3,300 that are actually reported. Uh, so we don't have, you know, as the victims tell us, a level of confidence that they will receive justice if they do report. And in fact, a lot of the victims tell us that they're most afraid of retaliation or retribution or being marginalized or being blamed. And so they don't feel that there will be sufficient accountability within the military uh, to prosecute these crimes and to hold their perpetrator accountable. 
A couple of things are puzzling to me. Why the increase? The increase seems to suggest that the Pentagon has made this less and less of a priority precisely in the time when this has been much more public and aggressively watched over by the Congress. Well, I don't know if the incidents have increased or if it's just a greater comfort level to tell someone. These reports that are that are made every year are confidential reports. Most of the cases do go through a full investigation, but but a smaller percentage actually goes to trial. Uh, there's about 10 percent that proceed to trial, and that's about the same as the year before. And of that, a good number of those actually do result in the conviction. So the JAG lawyers are doing their jobs. They are bringing these cases to trial and having a pretty good conviction rate. The real challenge is that men and women who are attacked don't feel that they can tell their commanding officer. And so one of the solutions that we've put forward is the ability for them to actually report these cases to the JAG attorneys, the prosecutors who will prosecute the case, take the decision-making out of the chain of command so that they're no longer the one who decides whether a case should go to trial or whether to overturn a jury's verdict once a uh, conviction has been made. Those two decision points, I believe, should be taken out of the chain of command so that victims feel they can go straight to trained prosecutors and won't automatically be retaliated against or re-victimized by just not being taken seriously or having their careers be marginalized. So I'm hoping that with this proposed legislation, we can begin to have more transparency and accountability within the military and we can have justice being served. Does the chain of command create a complication in the sense that uh, officers have discretion to uh, ignore uh, cases like this to protect someone's career? And they also have the ability to discourage reporting, as you've said, with the threat of harming someone's career. The chain of command seems to be central to the whole problem. Well, that's what the victims tell us. That's what they've actually said. They've testified in hearings. They've testified publicly. Uh, There's a very, very moving film called The Invisible War where a number of victims tell their personal stories about what happened to them once they reported and what happened to their careers, what happened to their assailants. And what the stories tell us over and over again is that there is a fear that the commanding officer will either not take them seriously or punish them for reporting. In a major corporation or really almost any workplace in in the United States, these things would be dealt with outside of the individual sort of boss subordinate relationship. And there would be like a human resources department that would would take care of enforcement as well as offering these kinds of sensitivity training things. It seems like the Pentagon. Or you would just go to the local DA. There you go. (laughs) Right. It's not even within your company. I mean. If it's, you know, unwanted sexual advance and not a sexual attack and not uh, assault or a rape, you would go to your HR person. Um, But, you know, these kinds of uh, smaller things, misdemeanors will stay with the commanding officer. This bill in no way undermines their ability to uh, instill order and discipline within the ranks with nonjudicial action. It's just the decision point of whether or not to go to trial, that legal decision, I don't think should be made by an untrained commander who has no training in sexual assault or rape, may not understand the law, may not understand the nature of these cases well. And I think that decision point, if taken out and given directly to the prosecutor, I think the victim will have a sense that he or she will be able to receive justice in the case uh, more often than not. So we want to change the dynamics because 
the military is just not getting it done. It is not getting better. And they've been working at this for a long time. This has been a problem for decades. This is not a new problem. And unlike, you know, some of the discussion, more than half of these assaults are against men. It's not just about the women serving in the military. More than half of these incidents are assaults and rapes where men are the victim. And so it's an entire problem for the entire military. And in 2013, it's utterly naive of the military to think they can handle this purely in terms of sensitivity training and uh, more sitting in front of uh, films about how you need to be more sensitive about this. There has to be a structural mechanism for enforcement, and that's what you've proposed. And there also has to be an understanding, you know, for one of the Air Force chief of staffs to have testified, I think it was last week, that part of the incident rate is because of the hookup culture that's being held over from high school demonstrates how there's so little understanding. Sexual assault and rape is a crime of violence. It's a crime of aggression. It's a crime of dominance. Uh, it may not even be related to sex in any way. Um, these are violent crimes that are often committed by recidivists, people who have done it over and over again, where they target their victim uh, and are real predators. And so we're trying to root out these predators. Our men and women who serve in the military are the greatest in the world. We have the greatest military in the world. These men and women have so much courage and dedication and sacrifice everything for all that we believe in. But we have to have a system that respects that commitment and their courage so that if they are brutalized or victimized by a predator within the ranks, we can not only prosecute that case but kick that predator and kick that criminal out of the military. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, the junior senator from New York State, thank you so much. You're welcome. This is The Takeaway. I'm David Remnick, and each week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, my colleagues and I unpack what's happening in a very complicated world. You'll hear from the New Yorker's award-winning reporters and thinkers, Jelani Cobb on race and justice, Jill Lepore on American history, Vincent Cunningham and Gia Tolentino on culture, Bill McKibben on climate change, and many more. To get the context behind events in the news, listen to the New Yorker Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts.